Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, Australia, and welcome to My Millennial Property. Emily Wallace here, and I have a listener as a guest today. I'm super excited to hear a listener's story. Often John and I talk about property topics and we give you education, but there's nothing like learning from someone who's been on the ground, recently purchased a property, and actually this particular guest has purchased a few properties, but the most recent one is a solo purchase, which I'm really excited to hear about and unpack. So we will get into it now. If it is your first time listening, We do a variety of different episodes. This is one that gives a bit more insight to the actual buying journey. But if you want a particular topic, flick back through the episodes that we've previously done and I'm sure you'll find some knowledge there. And if it's not, feel free to reach out to John or myself to get an expert in to talk about the topic you want to know about. All right, let's get into it. Now, this is confusing. The guest that I have is also Emily. Welcome, Emily. How are you? Good. Thanks, Emily. We travel in packs. Yes, we do. We do. Good name. Shout out to all the Emilys who are there. (laughs) Uh, So I put a post up on my Instagram, actually, and I said, my millennial property listeners and Instagram followers, I would love to chat to someone who's recently purchased and you bravely put your hand up and you have no idea what you're in for. No, I know. Well, let's find out. Yeah. (laughs) So true. Now, uh, you have recently purchased a few months ago. Is that correct? I have. It's actually the 12-month anniversary of my move-in date today. Oh, there you go. Wow. Love it. Big milestone. Awesome. Awesome to be here reflecting on that journey as well today. That is, what a date. Love it. Yep. So what I'd like to do today is sort of go through your journey from the very start because I think a lot of people, they have this aspiration of buying a property and it's like, how does that even come about? It's such a huge milestone in life. It's quite daunting. It's exciting. People get nervous. It's a big commitment. So let's go back to the very beginning. Yeah. (laughs) Even as an opening question, I guess, has property always been on your radar? Yes, it has. Okay. So my family has always invested in property. So when we go, when we say go back, I'm going all the way back to my childhood. And um, my father worked in uh, financial services. So he's, um, one of his hobbies and passions outside of the work he did was actually building up a property portfolio. So from my really early childhood days, it was like, we're buying a block, we're buying a block to build a holiday house on. And then there was always multiple properties in the family. So I got really comfortable with hearing conversations about rental yield and other exciting stuff that just flows through the back of your head when you're 11 or 12. But obviously some of that is stuck. Um, My personal journey began with a desire to buy somewhere to live for myself and my then partner. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, having an investment property was never really high on my radar. Um, And it's something that ended up happening further down the line. But really for me, it was about having a place to call 
home and having a place to call my own. I'm a bit of a potterer around my house. So being able to have that security of um, somewhere that I could call my own and, and do the things that you can't when you're a renter was really appealing to me. That's awesome. And I think that is a really common goal for a lot of people who want to have a home that they live in and own is to make it their own. You know, that's that's the goal, right? Like- yeah, very much a heart goal instead of a financial goal. I know, you know, some people are motivated about optimising the way they invest their money and how to maximise the growth of their assets and all that kind of thing. And for me, it was much more about how I live, where I live and um, building a life around a property. For sure. And so you touched on there, so early days in early childhood, exposure to property was quite high, obviously, given your father's involvement in the financial space uh, and talking about property and yields and all these fun (laughs) things that, you know, kids don't really learn. (laughs) Uh, When did it sort of kick in for you coming into adulthood around actually thinking about starting to save? Because that's such a process, right? It is. And when you're not on a huge income, it feels like an insurmountable you know, task to be putting aside a proportion of a really small salary. Um, I think my partner and I at the time didn't have, you know, a huge lifestyle expense. So we were lucky enough that we were both in jobs where we were able to sort of scrape together enough money for a deposit. Um, And I'm kind of outing myself as an elder millennial here (laughs) because I was able to buy my first property, which was a two bedroom apartment in Fitzroy um, for $390,000. Okay, that does not, for reference on Fitzroy, Melbourne, for people who are non-Melbourne listeners, that is crazy good buying. You would not, you couldn't even probably get a one bedroom at that price these days. Yeah, it it was 2006. Okay. So I was 26, I think, um, at that time. And uh, my partner was a little bit older and I really just went along for the journey. So I did my research. I knew that we were looking. We'd saved the money to buy the to put down a deposit, um, but I wasn't really an active participant in okay. that purchase. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that really helped us get a leg up was my partner's parents were willing to be guarantors for our loan, um, which was um, really instrumental in helping us get ahead. Um, so that was an amazing purchase. Um, I have a younger brother who's two years younger than me. And in terms of talking about timing of getting in the market too, two years later, he couldn't buy what we had bought. So the timing was just super, super lucky. Um, And I think also the decisiveness played a factor in it too. I, you know, I saw it, I loved it. I wanted it. And, you know, we were lucky enough to have a, a private offer accepted to purchase the property. So I didn't have to go through all of the, you know, the stress of an auction with me as a 26-year-old yeah. going, what the heck is all of this? And just for reference, Emily's got a great story that I actually haven't heard the entirety of, but this is purchase number one. The most recent purchase is purchase number three. So we will get there. I'm just making sure the listeners are along the journey, understanding 2006 is the, uh, is the purchase that we're referencing at the moment. Uh, with that purchase, like, did you look at many properties before you committed to that one or was it kind of a one and done situation? It was pretty close to a one and done. I oh. think we'd been to a handful, nowhere near the 100 property um, rule that, that I heard has. John talking about, <laughs> nowhere near it. Um, and look, you know, it was a little while ago, so perhaps my memory is a bit foggy, but um, certainly not well-researched, just landed on a really good buy. And in terms of being an apartment owner, did you run into any troubles during the ownership, like around the body corporate, dare I ask? (laughs) Uh, Yes, there was some real quirks about the building. And I think you see it often 
in body corporate where there were some pretty zealous owners who were very deeply involved in the body corporate who would take it upon themselves to really police the operations of the building. Um, And there were security cameras in the building and a resident was paid by the body corporate to review the footage and then issue fines for people who were breaching rules that like bringing garbage through the carpeted hallways and oh my goodness it was it was a bit of a police state wow i don't think i've ever heard of it being that drastic reviewing cctv footage and the body corporate was paying for it that's insane that sounds a bit dodgy in itself it was a bit dodgy yeah Yeah, it was (laughs) strange um and then also ran into some issues with other residents in the building i remember there was a young guy who lived below my apartment and he was into the Fitzroy party scene. Right. So he'd come back to his apartment at 2am on a Sunday night ready for afters and there'd be music vibrating up the bedroom wall. Um, So he was very invested in the lifestyle and I had to go down and have some words to him and say, this is not on. How did he respond to that? Uh, Look, he was, he was fine in person. But then when I got back up to my apartment, I could hear him out on his balcony slagging me off. (laughs) You know, why do people buy in the inner city if they can't handle noise? And I was like, it's 4 a.m., mate. Calm down. People can handle noise at a reasonable hour. Exactly. And look, that's, you know, that really actually touches on one of the things around apartment living is that you are sharing the space. You know, when it's your own home, obviously you have neighbours. If you're in rural properties, maybe you don't see neighbours that often. But it is one of the things you need to consider in inner city living. Unreasonable to have loud music at 4 a.m. But more generally, they are noisier uh, surrounds. Yeah, and it is, and it can be really luck of the draw, yeah. um, who you get as neighbours and their sensitivity to noise. Um, we were pretty fortunate, apart from our mate downstairs, we didn't really have too many issues. And I think also the quality of the build plays a big role yeah. um, in the uh, transference of noise, either from your place below, above and then to either side. So it was a pretty solid building yeah. um, and that certainly helped. Yeah, for sure. So that was purchase number one with your then partner. And then how did purchase number two come about? Yeah, so a couple of years after purchasing the apartment, purchase one, we got married. Yep. uh, And then the decision was made to uh, move into a house uh, and try and go for that next step on the property ladder with a view to having kids. So uh, we did a little bit more research going into property number two and I was a lot more actively involved. So I would sit there and print out records from realestate.com or domain or whatever it was I was using back then. The fact that I was printing things tells you again the era. (laughs) I think this is about 2011, I reckon. Um, So I had an idea where we wanted to go and that was to push out further into Fitzroy North Mm -hmm. um, and we're looking at a terrace house in Fitzroy North. Beautiful. So the ultimate aim was to buy the house, retain the apartment as an investment property, which was what ended up happening. Um, so that process and that search was a little bit more involved. We went to a few auctions. We inspected probably a dozen or so yeah. different properties yeah. um, and then ended up purchasing what became our home, purchase number two, at auction. Um, my partner bid, I stood next to him and, you know, blinked a lot. Um, so again, it was uh, <laughs> not an easy, uh, not an easy purchase, but, and also one that I was probably um, not necessarily driving. But I do remember seeing at the auction, uh, a friend of mine was there with his brother and his brother's wife, and she was heavily pregnant. And I looked at her and I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> 
there's nothing like a pregnant woman and an auction for motivation, <laughs> honestly, especially when there are, you know, babies on the way, Oof. they need more room. Yeah. It's a high motivator. And after the auction, after we were the successful bidders, I looked at him and I said, oh, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. <laughs> sorry that we won. Yeah. <laughs> I hope they find something very quickly. <laughs> so... It's interesting the progression that you've had to the second purchase because a lot of the community questions in the Facebook group, and if you're not in the Facebook group, just search My Millennial Money and you will find it and someone will let you in. A lot of people do ask about that entry-level property and then, you know, do I retain it and jump to the next one or do I sell it? And what's the process of, you know, making an investment? We've done episodes on that piece of the puzzle, like how you make your own, your original um, first home into an investment property and jump up again. But in terms of the, if you can recall, in terms of the decision-making process through that, was it just a conversation of like, that's how it's going to be? Or was there the thought of selling the original uh, apartment? Yeah, definitely thought about it. Um, It was really more a decision based on, could we afford to keep it? And would keeping it put us in Um, stress in terms of mortgage repayments. And the answer was that by that time I'd progressed in my career, I was earning a bit more um, and it was feasible for us to hang on to it. And rather than it being an intentional strategy to become property investors, we were situationally able to make it work. And it was a great apartment in a city, Melbourne. It's hard to go wrong with something like that. We loved it. Other people would love it. We were really confident that it was always going to be tenanted at 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 a decent price. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the thing, right, is a lot of first home buyers I speak to, particularly with incentives of, you know, uh, stamp duty reductions they want to take advantage of or any LMI they can avoid with government grants and stuff, is the purchase serves a purpose for a period of time for them to live in because they have to commit to minimum 12 months, generally speaking. But then they question, okay, after that time, will it be rentable? You know, where are we? And generally in a city living, now that we are in a world where we value our cities again and it is a centre point, we certainly find that those years, I mean, the rental market at the moment is crazy, like just nuts. That's a whole another episode. Literally, we'll we'll be doing an episode on that. But... um, a lot of people do worry like, will this, if I flip it to an investment, will it be a good investment? And that is something you do need to consider in the process. Yeah. One of the sort of many life lessons that I've caught along the way from my dad when he's been talking about property is if you want to live there and your friends want to live there, other people will too. Yeah. So it's a good rule of thumb to say, is this a good rental investment? You know, if you don't want to live there, then maybe think about whether other people will too. Yeah. Very true. Very true indeed. So the upsize I love that you've you've outlined you spent a lot more time on this this second purchase the upsize because it's a big commitment right you if you're planning on maybe starting a family there you're thinking about school zones you're thinking about the growth within the property itself in terms of like floor plan and space so uh talk to me about the actual property like you mentioned it was a terrace yes yeah. a beautiful little Victorian terrace house yeah. and Uh, The pros and cons of terraces are that in terms of future improvement, you don't have many options, but also because you don't have many options, you can hop on realestate.com and and look at what other people have done. There's really only probably a dozen different combinations of extensions to those types of properties. So it's really easy to envision what it could be. Um, So it was it was a little bit tired and run down when we bought it. Uh, and the vision was always to do that big extension and turn it from a two plus study into a three plus study Great. with ensuite and, you know, all that fancy stuff and a yeah. beautiful big bath upstairs and all of That's the important things. We'll talk about baths <laughs> <Yeah>. later. <laughs> 
that's a key component you know, you know of purchase bath. I do. Um, we're we're going to go way off track talking about that. Um, so just being really aware of how the purchase could inform the future lifestyle. And that was probably a bit of a mistake, okay. to be honest. So um, we weren't in a position to do the renovation because we'd stretched ourselves to hang on to the investment property. Ah, okay. And we lived in that house from 2011 until early 2020 without doing the renovation work. So spoiler alert, I, I got pregnant and I now have a nine-year-old son. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when I was pregnant, um, we were doing a lot of work to improve what was the front half of the house. So yes. the parts that would be retained um, beyond a renovation and then didn't really do much to the back. And it was not pleasant to live there. It was dark, it was cold, it was a really tiny space. And so we kind of lived in this transitional space for nine years and, and I thought um, at the time that it was all in aid of the big reno, um, but it came at a cost. Yeah, interesting. And I think one of the biggest scenarios that plays out similar to what you've just described is people who haven't been through renovations extensively underestimate time, cost and disruption. So whilst it's all good in theory, I personally think if you can afford to do so, that any major work is done prior to even moving in if you can, because it'll probably never get done. Yeah. And that's kind of you know, ended up in a bit of limbo in terms of the renovation stuff because then it was, um, you know, pregnancy and then it was a baby and then it was getting back on track in terms of work and just kept getting pushed further and further down the priority list. And meanwhile, I was living really uncomfortably. Yeah. Which is not fun. No, that's not fun. So had you had your time again, what what would you do differently in that situation, do you think? I I would have um, used the capital that was put into or the the capacity that was put into the investment property and really prioritise the renovation straight up. Um, Or alternatively sat down and had a real think about um, whether I wanted to buy something that somebody had already done the work on. True. Which feels hard when you look at the blank canvas versus the cost of something that's already been fully realised to look at it and go, I could steer that project through to completion and I'd end up with the output. But yeah, the the emotional cost and the time cost is massive for a big project like that. It's hard to quantify too because it's such an unknown and it's, yeah, it's a question of how much do you value your time in your sanity and like the space that you live in, yeah. really. Yeah. That's and I love comfort. Yeah. <laughs> Going back to the bath thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like I had, I kind of hadn't realised how much of a toll it, had, it was taking on my energy and my, you know, zest for life and stuff to be living uncomfortably. Yeah, well, your surrounds really impact you. Um, did it have a claw foot bath or...? Uh, no. no. <laughs> so this place had one of those bathrooms that's tacked onto the back. Oh. Um, it was like a little lean-to shed. One of the walls was actually being pushed over by a tree that was growing in the neighbour's backyard. Great. So we'd see the seal expand and contract, you know, as the tree was growing and I was thinking one of these days I'm going to be in the bath and the wall will fall on me. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Um, drafty, scorching hot in the summer, freezing cold in winter. It was not a vibe. Okay, not a vibe at all. Well, I'm very curious to see what purchase number three looks like because it sounds like it's definitely different. Yes, very. For what you've alluded to. Uh, And by the way, this is my first time meeting Emily. 
like we just literally messaged on Instagram, exchanged numbers, and I was like, "Yep, yeah, meet me at this location at ten o'clock today, and we'll chat." So this I'm finding anywhere for myself as well. So we're going to take a quick break and then get into the nuts and bolts of purchase number three, which is a solo purchase, so a little bit of a different change of pace. So we'll be right back. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So you lived in the second property until around 2020, is that correct? That's right. Um, So just prior to COVID, my marriage ended. So I was all of a sudden thrown into single parenting, uh, which was huge. It was kind of nice when COVID came along and everybody else was having a traumatic experience as well. I was like, welcome people. I know how to do this. I can help you. I can help you through it. a few months ahead. Yeah. So... My immediate priority was selling the house. Okay. Um, it stopped being my home the moment my marriage ended. Of course. And I just wanted to get out. Yeah. So that was a fun thing, trying to prepare for a sale and do all of those cosmetic things that you need to do to exit a property yeah. under pressure, traumatised with a then six-year-old to accommodate yeah. around uh, all of those works. So that's a lot. Let's just pause on that for a second. That in itself is a lot. And I think people underestimate because there's so much around buying, you know, the, the excitement of buying and, but also the stress, but selling is stressful, but selling under circumstances such as that also with a little one in the mix is extremely stressful. I was running on adrenaline. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, starting to get signals that something funky was going on in our world. Um, So I was, again, really pushing for a quick sale and ended up setting a auction date for the 24th of February, 2020. Oh, that was two weeks before lockdown? Probably the last good auction weekend of 2020. Wow. We had about 90 people in the street (gasps) watching the auction and got an amazing price. Um, So absolutely sold at the peak of the market because no one had really twigged Talk about timing. That's crazy. So let's just touch on the lead up to like getting the property ready and going through that process as a vendor. Because I think it's actually a really important perspective to understand for buyers as well, you know, what vendors go through. (laughs) So 
talk to me about the timeline from when you decided you needed to sell to it actually being ready to sell and then auction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the timeline was probably about eight weeks. Very quick for a sale. Yeah. Uh, and I had relationships with agents in the neighborhood. So I went and spoke to three agents, talked to them about why we're selling, what the deal is, the, you know, the sense of urgency and importance to get a result um, and set a pretty modest reserve. And luckily my ex and I agreed on the reserve so we didn't have to deal with the complications of trying to negotiate that when a, a relationship is broken down. Yeah. Were you in charge of like managing the actual, like getting everything sort yes. of for sale? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. I stayed in the house. He oh, moved out. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, and pretty quickly just decided to go with the agent that we already had the strongest relationship with. We'd actually bought our first purchase with that agent and had stayed in touch with him. So, you know, the relationship won out in that regard. Yep. Um, and they were great. You know, they did an excellent job of navigating the complexity of the personal situation that yes. I was in. And, you know, they certainly made me feel comfortable through the process. I'm sure they had a good relationship with my ex as well. Yeah. Um, they did a great job of not putting us in the same room together, which was helpful for <laughs> <Yeah>. everybody. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. So we did have a chat and they gave some valuations and an indication of where the market was at. And they all pretty much universally recommended some cosmetic uplift um not a huge reno um but you know things like replace the mirror in the bathroom fix some broken tiling repaint fix some windows that were a bit um you know weather beaten and tidy up the outside and and all of that kind of stuff which on paper didn't seem like a whole lot of work but it was enormous um, and incredibly disruptive and again if I had my time over I would have moved out for that period but I instead stayed in the house and, and assumed that it could be worked around and I really wish that the the business that we engaged to deliver that work yes. and do the staging for us sat me down and said it's going to be awful yeah. if you're living here with a child while all this is going on clear out let us do our thing it's going to be much better down the track yeah so that was that was a bit of a regret well that's a lesson right for anyone who's thinking of getting their property ready for sale and they've got kids in the mix and you're having trades left, right and centre to come in and fix in minor things, but still, you know, different pockets of the house, if you can afford to do so, or even if you can bunk in with some family for a period of time. Strongly recommend. Yeah. Don't be in the house. Um, and the other thing was that during the sale period, we had agents that would just come and let them in, let themselves into the house oh. while I was living there. Oh, um, okay. So, you know, the house, and I'd, I, I'd been really clear about when we were and weren't able to yeah. open up the home to for private inspections as well as the public inspections. But I think that message got lost a little. So there were a few times where I was busy trying to get my prep kid together to go off to school and I'd hear a key in the lock and I'd be like, oh my God, we're not in inspection order. Oh my goodness. That's not ideal. So clear communication with the agent yes. and making sure that everyone in the agency is across when you can let people through and when you can't is also key. Yeah. But again, wouldn't have been a problem if I wasn't living there. Of course. And that actually really is a benefit. I mean, even on my side of things, whenever we try and line up inspections, vacant properties, like agents love a vacant property. Like, yep, anytime my diary's open, just let me know when you want to be there. In some cases, although they probably shouldn't, they leave me the lockbox, you know, I can, can go in. So yeah, it, it's probably um, a benefit to the sales campaign if it can be open at all hours. Totally. And the other thing that um, was a decision that was made, which paid off, was to do the formal staging. Yes. So, you know, I had a couple of my things left in the house, but the staging 
company came in and, and made it look really, really cool. Yeah, awesome. Um, so I think that definitely helped get a premium result on auction day that maybe we might not have secured if the place was empty or, you know, not looking like a cool terrace house in Fitzroy North. Yeah. I think yeah. particularly because of the location, there's an expectation that the property will have a certain type of energy and they really deliver on that. Fitzroy North and Fitzroy is a certain vibe. So uh, question for you, did your reserve, like your initial reserve, uh, alter at all when you saw the amount of people that rocked up to the auction or were you just like, that's the price, we're happy with anything above that? Uh, I didn't waver one bit. I, I also didn't have the confidence that a huge crowd meant a lot of competition because I could recognise a lot of the people in the crowd. <laughs> you're a neighbour, you're a yeah. neighbour. <laughs> you're my mate, you're my brother. <laughs> so, um, and I also didn't want to get want to get overconfident and partly that's because my objective was not to maximise the um, the profit, but it was to sell the property. Of course. So, you know, it would have been a bad outcome would have been to not get a result at auction and then having to enter into, you know, post auction negotiations. So I just was really crossing my fingers that it would just be done. Yeah. That's so fair. And that chapter closed and sorted and you can move on to your next phase. Yeah, exactly. So as you'd expect, it was, it was incredibly emotional. Definitely. Um, Yeah. I think I blew through, couple of boxes of tissues while the auction was happening (laughs) but it it was a fantastic result and um, it really helped set me up financially for purchase number three. Definitely so that was the last weekend in Feb 2020 which would have been like the best auction weekend in hindsight which is great and so then when did the process start to search for your now home? Mm, I started that process formally in about November 22 you know, quite a while after sale. And that's because I had um, secured a rental and I was just in a transition period, you know, gathering the pieces, making sure my son was okay, living single lady life. Yes. (laughs) Love it. Adapting to the new lifestyle, single mum. No bath in my rental. No bath in the rental. Oh gosh. That's enough motivation to want to buy something. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So it, it did take a while for me to come up against the idea of purchasing and and I was in a relationship where my partner and I were talking about um, eventually buying together and that really kicked the can down the road for me. I was in this relationship where I could see a future with this person and a shared future and I didn't want to go and proceed with my own purchase, which I then felt like I might have to unwind in a couple of years' time anyway. So I sat back, I watched the market, I spent time looking at all of the websites and... Um, obviously in COVID, the ability to attend auctions was pretty limited, but I, I jumped on a few virtual auctions during that time and just tried to build an idea about what it was that I would like to buy. And then when that relationship ended, mm-hmm. my criteria dramatically changed. Right. So instead of a family home for, with two adults and three kids, I was yeah. looking for a place for myself and my son. Right. Okay. So you, just to clarify, so you're in a relationship with thinking you were going to buy with that person. Yeah. They had two kids. Yeah. Right. And then that, that fell away. Yep. Oh, okay. That changes things massively. It's a, it's a whole soap opera. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I love it. <laughs> um, so there I was heartbroken, but with a huge deposit. Yeah. And at least, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing as I've mentioned, but at least you didn't commit to that and then have to undo that. Cause that's even a, someone else in the mix. It's a lot harder. You think I'd have figured it out the first time, <laughs> Emily. <laughs> but uh, look, it was 
it was actually a really exciting time yeah. to think about what it was that was right for me mm. and right for my son. Yeah. So in that purchase, as I was looking at what it, what was coming next, I was like, okay, well, what do I need and what do I really want? So there was a couple of really important anchors for me in that next decision. The first one was I needed to be within a couple of kilometres of my child's school yeah. so that I could minimise disruption for him. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to stay in the inner north mm-hmm. But I also didn't want to be shopping at the same supermarket as my ex-husband. That's fair. That's a good criteria. Life is too short (laughs) to be in Coles. And have a panic attack. Yeah, Yeah. correct. Um, (laughs) So they were two important factors for me. And obviously I, I had an amazing support network and friends in Fitzroy North, Carlton North, that inner north area. So I thought... That's loosely where I wanted to base myself. But as you know, Fitzroy North is a premium market. Mm. It costs a lot to buy there. And the quality of what I would be able to buy with my money was going to be greater if I just nudged out a little bit in a couple of different directions. So then I started thinking about, like, am I willing to take on a project? Oh, that's a good question. Would I go there? And the answer was no. I was like, I've got a kid to raise. I've got a household to run. I've got a job to do. I don't have time to be spending every weekend at Bunnings. I want to go to Bunnings for fun. Yes. And a sausage. And a sausage (laughs) or two, maybe. Um, So that helped me tighten up my criteria as well. I wanted two bedrooms minimum, ideally three. And when I talked to my son about what we should buy because I wanted to involve him in the process. Oh. He said, there's two things, mummy. Yeah. Number one is that it should have a dishwasher so <laughs> you can spend less time washing dishes and more time playing with me. Oh, that is so cute. Stop Die. it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cute. And the second one was it should have a bath. Oh. And I was like, yep. He's agreed. on to a winner. Yeah, on you to are, a winner. You are my son. Yeah. <laughs> For those who, of you who don't know the bath reference, I'm personally obsessed with bath and I'm, I'm assuming Emily knows that through my Instagram. Correct. And so it's a, an absolute requirement that a, that a house has a bath, just full stop. That's yep. what makes a house. I was miserable living without one for <laughs> the two years of COVID that I rented. So yes, yes absolutely um, a criteria for me, a real heartbreak factor. Um, so I probably would have bought someone somewhere without a bath, but I would have been trying to find a way to shoehorn a bath in there. Totally. So, you know, he was easy to please. That's great. Dishwasher in a bath. Easy. Happy days. <laughs> but I really wanted somewhere that had a lot of natural light after living in a series of terrace houses. Um, I wanted somewhere where I could see the sky as well as having the light. Yep. So, you know, let's go all out and say, I'd love a view. Yes. <laughs> I want somewhere somewhere that feels really different to the places I've lived in the past that sort of signifies a new stage that I'm at in my life. And living a bit further away, having car park yep. situations became important. So beyond that, I was really agnostic to what it was that I was going to buy, older, newer, whatever. Yeah. Um, and, you know, ability to do a little bit of cosmetic work if I had to, but yes. a preference not to. Yeah. <laughs> And the first serious step I took was um, finding a mortgage broker. Great. So that really kicked things off for me um, because I was able to have the conversations about what I can afford, what I should reasonably borrow as a single mum. That's a really key thing, reasonably borrow, because there's a difference between what you can borrow and what's realistically doable, particularly factoring in single income any vulnerability to that. Yep, exactly. And, you know, I think I kind of applied the um, just step into the fear zone approach in how much I borrowed. So not under capitalising on yeah. what I could buy, but also not getting into the silly 
stage as well. So I, I ended up borrowing less than I could have, which was a good move because I don't think any of us could foresee what would happen with interest mm. rates so a couple of years ago. Yeah. That was, yeah, that was a really good process to go through just to understand where I was at, what I could afford and how the home buying process would work as an individual Um, because that was a huge shift for me. It was all on me. I was leading this charge. Um, And then once I had an idea of my budget, I was able to go and do the rounds of the inspections and get a little bit more serious with my research. Yep. Was that a, how long was that sort of process of, was it lots of Saturdays or? It was, it was a concentrated chunk of Saturdays. Okay. Um, So buying a house is my favorite game of all time. I love it. (laughs) I love helping other people when they're buying as well because I yeah. just like really dig all the research and doing all of the sneaky investigations as well, like a bit of a Google <laughs> a fiend. A spy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love the spying aspect. So, yeah, it was shorter than I had anticipated by stretch and, you know, I've obviously followed you since I think 2021 I oh, saw on Instagram go. when yeah. we were chatting yes. and had thought I'll do the exploration. When I get serious, I'll go to an advocate. Yeah because I really felt like I needed somebody in my corner to negotiate particularly at the back end and, and make sure that I wasn't making a silly decision out of naivety. But it didn't work out like that for me. So I saw a bunch of places. I also did a thing and I was listening to Carl's episode oh, on the yes. way here. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he was talking how he like took notes of the, the yes. properties he, he visited. And I did that too. I probably wasn't quite as organised as him. <laughs> but when I'd go to an inspection, I'd sort of jot down the specifics of it and I jot down what I thought the sale price would be. So I just kind of like threw myself into the future and tried to pick what the outcome of a sale or an auction was going to be for that particular property. And that really helped me kind of fine tune what a reasonable like outcome would look like yes. um, versus the guide price or, um, you know, between a huge range. And at that time, properties were still selling for, you know, 200 Three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars more yes. than the the advertised range. So you know it, that helped me hone my instincts about what the market was paying, and it and it builds up a bit of immunity to seeing the results as well. Because that's the biggest thing. People are like, oh my gosh, it went you know X Y Z over, and you're like, yep, that's normal. Like for, for you know for someone within the industry, it's like, yep, that's a standard. But when you're not exposed to it and your expectations are based on the quote range, yeah. you're like, hang on a second. <laughs> So that's, that was a good exercise to do then. Yeah, totally valuable um, and recommend anyone who's in that headspace to, to go do it, even if it's a property that you don't think you'd ever buy. As long as it's sort of roughly within a range of what you're looking at, it's, it's a really good way to understand like what the market is rewarding yes. as well. So, you know, do properties that have been cosmetically renovated get a higher sale price than the blank canvas or you know, is someone who's, do people get their eyes turned or their head turned by like a full shiny, new, beautiful place and and pay incredibly more, like much, much more for it? Yeah. It's like what stock type is doing well. Yeah. Yeah. And so then when you went to your now home, like when you, when you went through, like when you walked through it for the first time, what did, what did you feel? Uh, all of my rationality went out the window. Okay. <laughs> it was love. It was just, you know, it's just uh, ticked all of my boxes and then some. And yeah. I was really excited because the guide price was significantly lower than the top of my budget. So from the outset, I had a sense of what it would sell for, which was within my comfort level. And I also knew that the guide price was, I think it was 200 grand lower than the top end of my budget. So I looked at it yeah, and I was great. like, 
okay, yes, we're on. (laughs) (laughs) And it was really interesting to sort of think about how much more I would pay for a place I really loved. And one of the factors in uh, looking at a, a new place was high schools. Yes, of course. Because that's the next thing, right, is that making sure I'm in a zone where the, the high school is great, it's going to be a match for him, and it was in the Northcote High zone. So that was a big Very tick good for zone me. for those who don't know the area. It's a really good zone to be in. Yeah, yeah. it's got a great reputation, that school. And if I bought there, my son could walk himself to school which is like every parent's. You can have coffee in bed while he gets himself sorted. What a life. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, on paper it was ticking all the boxes and I just fell in love instantly. There's um, an enormous ensuite off the master bedroom that has a walk-in shower and bath. Oh, my goodness. So, you know, and, and the great thing about the layout is that uh, my bedroom and my son's bedroom are opposite ends of the apartment. So as he grows older and gets stinky, yes, I don't have to smell what's going Smelly on in boy, his room. No. <laughs> he's, he's got his own bathroom at that end. That's so good. I can live in my, you know, suite. Yes. So you're definitely thinking about the future then because that floor plan layout for a younger child, like if it was like a toddler that wouldn't wouldn't work because it's just too far away from from mum so yeah that's that's great so how was it being sold was it an auction it was an auction oh it makes me nervous because I know you really I mean I know you you get the property so like it's a happy outcome but I know that you would have been nervous because you liked it (laughs) I was uh, I was terrified but it was it was such a fun experience um so I did ask if they were accepting offers prior and the answer was no I think they'd had enough interest that um, they weren't, just weren't going to entertain it. Um, so I went to a bunch of auctions yeah. prior to the auction for this property. So I really, instead of looking at other properties, I stopped and I was just like, I'm just going to every auction I can yes. and I'm going to listen to a thousand podcasts about auction strategies and I'm going to figure out how I'm going to tackle this and how I manage my nervous excitement so that I do the best possible job. Um, so I invited my parents to come with me and I was like, these are strategic boomers. So people at the auction are going to see me with my parents looking like they've got their sacks of cash. (laughs) Cashed up boomers. Cashed up boomers. And I'm being backed by my parents' money. And the fact is that I wasn't. They were there just to support me, but not in the eyes of everybody else. Yeah, an illusion. Yes. Love it. Um, And then I also pulled at the heartstrings. I took my son with me. Oh, that's so good. They would be like, just let her have it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I was like, single mom, single mom, trying to, you know, trying to get a foothold, single mom. (laughs) So wasn't afraid to manipulate the optics of the situation. But the other thing was that I I really spent some time talking to the agent. And it's key. It is. It really is. And we got to know each other and he knew what I was looking for. I tried to be an open book with him and also tell him my story. I was like, this isn't my first rodeo. I love the place. I want it. You know, I just put all my cards on the table. I know what I'm looking for. I know what fair value is. I'm not going to pay over what I think is fair and reasonable, but I'll go right up to that point. Yeah, great. And so what was the auction situation? Were there multiple bidders? Did it get passed in or what happened? Yeah, there was one other bidder. So I'd had the inside track on his situation from the agent. Um, He was buying it as an investment property and he was the classic arms crossed, no eye contact. Not the black cap sort of situation. Well, it was inside because the weather oh, was okay. terrible, which actually was, again, to my advantage yeah. because the, you know, the passers-by weren't joining the crowd. Yeah. Um, 
I'm pretty sure he had sunglasses on inside. Yeah, okay, one of those. (laughs) And no emotion in his face. And I think also because of the strength of the relationship with the agent, as the bidding commenced, they were tracking the bid on an iPad and they angled it toward me. So I could not just hear the bid, but I could see it. Yeah, it's always important. Even as an advocate who bids on multiple Saturdays, like I love having it in front of you. It's so, because when there's numbers flying everywhere, particularly when they're big numbers too, you need to see it. Yeah. Well, as the auction started, there were two other people in the room um, and I didn't know it at the time, but they were neighbours there to observe. So I'm sitting there thinking, right, there's three other parties here. One of them looks like real business. The other two, no idea. And they did that classic thing where no one wanted to make the first bid. Standard. Stand- yeah, everybody <laughs> sat back and um, and my strategy going in was, I'm not going to make the first bid. I'm going to wait for somebody else to do it. And then it got to the point where they'd started to do the wind up. So I think there'd been a vendor bid to get things going and... It was getting to the point where I was thinking I might have to throw my hat in so that I get it first referral yeah. if it gets passed in. So it got to the point where I was like, okay, maybe I have to stick my hand up. Mm. And I'm pretty sure I did. Okay. So I think it's I- a blur. <laughs> you don't remember? <laughs> there was a lot happening inside my little noggin yeah. at that point. So I'm pretty sure I opened up bidding a little bit higher than the vendor price. And then it really just popped off from there. And old mate- with the sunglasses, yeah. was incredibly aggressive. So I was, you know, and I'd listened to a lot of podcasts about do you go in hard and fast or do you step back and be the thinking person, think, reflect, bid, or do you ping pong aggressively? So he was, you know, serving it hard and fast and I was sitting there and I was like, you know, looking unsure and looking at my dad. <laughs> dad, where's the more money that you're not giving me but let's pretend. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. At that stage, I was still terrified and really just absolutely freaking out. And then they took a break at the point where it must have been, we must have reached the reserve. So they paused the auction and went in and spoke to the vendor who was sitting in another room. And while the auctioneer or the agent was doing that, my dad walked over to talk to me. And what he said to me was, you're doing a great job. And I said, thank you. That's very kind. I'm feeling a bit nervous. But then I was thinking, you know, maybe the people watching me are thinking of him, he's coming over saying, I've got an extra 20K behind you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Just go for it. (laughs) Pay whatever price it is. (laughs) I know. So I was like, you know, half of me was like, I want to do this by myself and, you know, I want to be independent in this decision. But the other half of me was like, oh, this is actually great because it's reinforcing the you know the story yeah yeah love it <laughs> and so because when you're in an auction situation and you know it's getting towards the pointy and you can feel the other person dropping away all you want is the contract to be knocked down like you just just knock it down just it's me just sell it to me what was that did they draw it out what was the process yep the bids got smaller and smaller and there was a point where I thought I'm not going to get this he's so aggressive and he's so persistent I thought this isn't mine And it was almost at exactly that moment where it became fun. So I tipped over into the, okay, I'm going to have fun with this now because I thought I'm going to go up to my limit and until I get to that limit, it's still mine. I don't think I'm going to get it. So I'm just going to play the game now and started to have a great time. So we were bouncing back and forth on bids and stuff. So I would go up 2,000, he'd pull it back to 500, then I'd go 2,000. And I was just like, I'm going aggressive. Yeah. Because at that point I was thinking, this is his money, not my money. Yes. Um, And then the, the funniest thing happened where he had started to slow down 
And that was a big shift in his behavior. So I was like, hmm, I feel like I'm getting close to his limit. And the auctioneer said, are you sure, sir, that might have been her last bid? And I was like, it wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) My confidence had kicked in and I was just getting sassy and um, I was kind of like, it's not, it's not my last bid, you know, I haven't reached my limit. So I think that might, that might've even been the last counter offer. So I scraped in underneath my um, budget. So I didn't have much further to go. Well, at least you didn't push beyond because that's what a lot of people do when they get competitive or they get emotional. It's like just a thousand more and then they come back with another thousand. Oh, another thousand. And it becomes tennis on thousand dollar bids. And all of a sudden you spend an extra 20,000 and yeah, that's real money. I think my mental limit was like a good hundred K below my actual limit. So I was already in the discomfort zone when I was above the mental limit, but hadn't quite hit the ceiling of what I could live with myself for for paying. (laughs) And then also it was like, it it was a tight market at that point. There was a lot of demand and not a lot of of supply. And I also knew it was a really rare buy. There's not many places like it in that suburb. And I felt really confident that even if I had overpaid, it would be worth it. I guess, particularly for your situation, right? It's something that you're going to hold for a long time. Like it's your safe haven for you and your son. It's got the floor plan that you want. It's got the bath. Yeah. Two car spaces, no car stacker. Perfect. It's got all the tick box items. So yeah, it's definitely a a pad that you've got. And even if things grow in the future or you change, it might be something you come back to. A lot of people come back to a property they've bought at some point to downsize again. Yes, exactly. So, and when, when I bought it, it had been tenanted. So it was, a, it was a new build that had been tenanted for a year. I bought it after all of the crinkles and creases had been ironed out in the development, which was also great. And, and I also knew what I was buying compared to some of my neighbours who had bought off the plan and were dealing with defects and things that they hadn't had fixed. So when I bought it, I knew that there was some funky stuff that I would need to um, fix. You knew what you are up for. I knew what I was up for. Yeah. Um, so I didn't have the, the angst that I think some of them have experienced. And I also knew coming in that it would be easily tenanted. Yes, it already had been. It already had been. The reference point. That's awesome. So all in all across this journey, and I love that it's been a first purchase, an upsize, and then really a downsize, but it's, you know, in a different situation being a single parent purchasing. What's probably been the biggest lesson along the way? I think the biggest lesson for me is the fear zone is a good zone for purchasing a property. And I've seen the downside of being too conservative um, and being willing to act when something feels right can lead you in a great direction. Um, I think we, we're not able to understand how prices and stock changes over time and we probably have, I think, difficulty in understanding, you know, that sort of rule of thumb that property prices double every seven years. So what feels terrifying today in two years' time is going to seem like a bargain. And I kind of was lucky enough to have felt that play out a couple of times before it was all in on me. Yeah, that experience probably helped you, right? Push into that area of being confident in that price that you'd put on it regardless of the quote range. Yeah, exactly. I think the other thing I learned was that um, relationship with a good mortgage broker really pays off. Um, And in my case, that really helped me understand a lot more about how um, home loans work because I was coming into that uh, without too great of an understanding of all the dynamics behind it. Um, so I was able to split, um, not split my loan, but half fixed, half variable. Right. 
which made a huge difference in the last 12 months. Yeah, broker education and just the idea of, you know, here's a commitment for 30 years, this is what it's going to look like, (laughs) is really important. Yeah, a good broker. And I think um, some people don't spend enough time sussing out a good broker. They're just like, oh, well, my friend used that one, so that'll be the good, that'll be fine for me, which in some cases is fine. But I do think it's worthwhile uh, spending the time to invest in. I wouldn't say shopping around, as in like you don't need to go and see who can lend you the most money because that's not necessarily the, the value of a good broker. It's who do you connect with and feel comfortable with, and who explains things to you really clearly that you really grasp concepts when they're talking to you. Exactly. And I certainly felt like my broker did the work to understand my situation. And, you know, although I have a a background in financial services, I have a big black gaping hole when it comes to mortgage lending. Um, So, you know, her ability to take me on the journey to educate me and help me understand how it all worked was really important. Yeah, 100%. Well, I've really enjoyed learning about your story today. I think it certainly touches on quite a few different purchases that listeners might be involved in, uh, whether it's their first one, their upsize, or maybe they're a solo person buying and all those considerations. Um, It's so great to hear from a listener (laughs) who uh, has been a listener of the show for some time now. I think you've been um, on the bandwagon of the My Millennial Property Podcast. So thank you for listening. I I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank Um, you. Thanks for coming on today. And uh, we will be doing more listener stories in the future as well. We want to get a bit of a mix of, you know, first home buyers, investors, unusual situations, maybe even a subdivision. We're putting the call out there. If you've got an unusual story um, as well, feel free to reach out to John or myself. And just on the note, I just thought actually put a mental note when you're talking about auction bidding. If you are someone who's attending an auction in the coming weeks and you want some tips probably would have been a good episode before you went bidding. But anyway, I, I interviewed an auctioneer, Andy Reid, on a few episodes back. I think it might be two or three episodes prior to this one. Certainly well worth a listen. He's an independent auctioneer and talks through both the vendor side of things and the buyer side of things. Uh, so well worth a listen if you're looking for another episode to tack on the end of this one. Well, thank you so much, Emily. I so appreciate your time and willingness to share your story. It's a great one. And I wish you all the very best in your new home with your big bath. Thanks. I'm going to go home and have a bath yeah. now. <laughs> Love it. Thanks so much for having me. No worries. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education. That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps. I've created the Solvair Online Academy, open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space. And if you're a first home buyer, I have the course just for you. Everything from pre-approval all the way through into your settlement and everything in between. How to place an offer, how to bid at auction, what to even look for at an open home and what questions to ask the agents. It's all covered in my online course. Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.